0: superhumanize accelerated evolution
1: those of you who have followed my podcast for a while know nothing excites me more than talking to people who've lived a very diverse life i find they're some of the most intriguing and best teachers My guest today, Todd Opalski, is a retired Marine Scout sniper, force recon operator, Delta operator, special operations commander, and entrepreneur. After 26 years in the military, he lived the startup experience in Silicon Valley before creating Camp Zen Commando, a Costa Rican retreat to help people of all stripes optimize their lives and prepare for the uncertainties of tomorrow. Todd was part of elite special operations organizations, completed the most arduous and demanding training the military has to offer, and he served on secretive military assignments in hostile environments worldwide. Throughout his journey, Todd has witnessed firsthand all types of suffering in the world, including starvation, genocide, isolation, deprivation, and worst of all, human loss. Now, his life purpose is to assist others in living more meaningful and peaceful lives at Mind Body Adventure Camp, Camp Zen Commando in Costa Rica. Todd, it's great to have you on the Superhumanized podcast. Thank you for your time.
2: Ariana, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you.
1: You have had a very eclectic life. Um, you've experienced so many things, many of them which most of us never would get exposed to. And of course, right now I'm talking especially about your military career. How did you get into the military?
2: Uh, great first. Question. How did I get in the military? Well, I thank my parents for that. I grew up in a very regimented household. My my parents were of European descent. My mom was German. My my dad was Polish. And in a throughout my childhood, I knew nothing but hard labor and discipline and authoritative rule. So that made it made me a perfect candidate for the military. I credit my parents for a a lot of my, my, my life journey. They had me later in life. My mom was 43. My dad was 47 and they grew up in the great depression. They were born in the twenties. My father went to world war II. neither one of my parents were very educated. And in their, during their childhood, during that time, didn't have an opportunity to go to school. They had to work and they were both, they came from agricultural backgrounds. So they kind of imparted those values onto me at an early age, work hard, um, be diligent, uh, focus on the basics. Education really wasn't a focus for me, college opportunities, things of that nature. And when it came time to leave high school, I really didn't have any other option other than to go in the military. So um, I had a calling one day, I think, on my way to the gym. I was a meathead, I like to say, a, a muscle head growing up. On my way home from the gym, I stopped at the recruiter's office. There was a, ma- a magnetic pull that led me into the recruiter's office. And within 10 minutes, less than that, I would say 10 seconds, he had baited me. And I was signing up for the United States Marine Corps. I went home, told my parents. My mother started to cry. She said, go see your father. He, he said, what are you doing? That's the most idiot, idiotical move you could make. And the rest is history. I spent the next 26 years in the military. <laughs> it's kind of how it happened.
1: Yeah, and, and um, you're actually being very humble about it, too. You had a decorated military career. You, uh, What you did, very few people have been able to do, even people who would want to do that. Um, the types of uh, uh, things you did are absolutely elite. I mean, uh, how did you get into that? Because it's not like anybody joining the military can just become this elite, Special Operations Forces uh, soldier
2: right I, I think for me Ariana, when I when I went in the military yeah I came my, my background my family it was very I guess a fixed-minded household and here at Zen commander we talk a lot about mindset <clears throat> types of mindset you have and generally speaking there's two types of mindsets a fixed mind and a growth mindset. Growing up, I was very fixed-minded. My parents, it was their way of doing things or the highway. And when I went in the military, even though the military can be perceived as a fixed-minded organization, it's really not. And there's different different sides of the military. There's a conventional side and an unconventional side. In the military, as you progress and you proceed in the military, you get different opportunities. Special operations at the time I went in the military service, late 80s, the 90s were happening. A focus was more, it started leaning towards more unconventional operations, special operations. Long gone were the days of storming beaches, conquering uh, entire continents. Those days were long gone. And now we're starting to focus on more specialized groups. Requiring surgical skill to get the job done, go behind enemy lines, and clandestinely, you know, fall back and never be seen or heard. So there was an intrigue to that. And I was surrounded by people who kept encouraging me, hey, you should consider maybe trying out for special operations. At that time, for me, that was ground reconnaissance in the Marine Corps. Well, our role was at the time was to gather information, gather information on the ground. We would secretly go behind enemy lines, uh, set up position, just observe whatever it may be, retrieve information, bring it back for it to get further processed into intelligence. So that was kind of my getting my feet wet in the world of special operations. And uh, even now, more so than ever, I think we rely more on those specialized groups and warfare has become much more unconventional and asymmetric, just like business has.
1: Yes, very, very true. Uh, the world is shifting in all different aspects so quickly and we have to be able to react quickly. So not just um, in the theaters of war, but also, of course, of business.
0: Superhumanize.
1: When we um, talked a little while ago, you told me, and I also mentioned it in the introduction, that you've actually uh, went from being this this young man, this meathead into the military career. And then um, as a result of that, of course, you also witnessed mar- many horrible things, uh, starvation, femicide. How did that affect your worldview and what changes did it cause in you?
2: I, I think for me, my, my first taste of seeing Deprivation was in the form of starvation. And it was mid 90s, and I was in Monrovia and we were doing some work at the embassy. And I remember being on guard posts, and outside the fence line, I saw a couple of young kids playing, and they were pretty close. And I was walking my post, being vigilant, being careful. And I went and so- I wanted to explore, see what they were doing. And these young boys, I, I was overwhelmed at what I saw. It, it was just skin on bone. They were suffering from the worst, extreme starvation that you only see on TV. And it gave me an understanding. I think those. It gave me an understanding of what those people are truly going through day in day out. That's their life. And I remember taking a cracker. A packet of crackers out of my pocket I had. I, I would carry snacks in my in my pocket during guard. I took out this packet of crackers and I threw it over the fence. and they did battle. It was a bloody royal. These kids were just going at it over a cracker. Hmm. That was pretty much my first aha moment that I ever saw. and, and starvation to me, it, it's one of the worst forms of suffering imaginable especially in today's day and age, when the United States, we were suffering from an epidemic of obesity. One third of the United States are obese, 60 some odd percent of people are overweight. And here, and here's these young, these children starving somewhere. And that was my, my first exposure to something to that extreme. Yeah. But overall, what it did was it, it gave me an understanding of the world around me. Something I was not getting back home in my fixed minded household where we only had two TV channels, where my parents were very set minded on everything. They had a perspective, their way was the only way of doing things. Now the world is opening up to me. I'm starting to see how other people live and how they approach. And for the remainder of my time in the military, it it was a learning, it was a laboratory and understanding other cultures. Yes. And other ways of doing things and realizing that you know my way or how we do things isn't the only way. Right. So it gave me a broader understanding. And I think having that understanding of those things in life, it gives you clarity of thought so you can be a better decision maker.
1: And that's a, a very, very good way of processing these types of experience. Um I think many people can relate to, most of us are exposed to the kind of realities that you faced in real life and witnessed. Most of us um, only know these from the news, from TV or from movies. And Mm -hmm. in one sense, thank goodness it is so. In the other sense, it also keeps us disconnected from what's actually happening in the world. And a lot of people, even though it's just a, um, let's say a virtual um, coming face to face with these kinds of other realities, a lot of people tend to shut down the human psyche. Uh, it's very hard to process suffering of other human beings on a large scale. So, there, you know, to find ways to process that and to stay open for it and then take one, what, what one has learned and hopefully be able to do something uh, that makes the entire human family experience better. Would be
2: ideal, exactly. And you know, you, you said something there uh, about connecting with it. The, the The more you're involved, and the more you experience, you you almost start detaching from it almost. Mm. And, and it, it becomes second nature. You see it so much. You know, you have a job to do, and you can't get attached to it. I think that detachment. Even with what we do here with our, our coaching and our training of folks, we, we focus a lot on detaching ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one of part of the one of the programs we do with recalibration retreat is focusing on people, focusing on how to detach yourself from those things that may bind you to those certain emotional attachments. So you can continue moving forward and get that job done.
1: Yes, so you don't stay stuck, and I think that's uh, the way you handle this, and what you also teach now at camps. Then Commando has been very much informed by your experiences in your military career, and what I really find fascinating about you is this changing path. So you had this decades-long um, military career, and then you went to into the um, corporate world, and from there you transitioned into being. Well, a Zen teacher, in a sense, in Costa Rica. You told me a beautiful story about how you actually ended up in Costa Rica, and I, I just loved it so much. If I would love for you to share it again for, for with sure. our listeners,
2: absolutely. So going back in time, it was 1993 approximately. I, I met an older gentleman in passing overseas, he was on some type of work. I was doing some type of work and small talk led to bigger talk. And one thing I like to ask people is if they had to do something over again, what would that be? Or if they had any regrets in life, what were those regrets? If you had to do one thing all over again, what would that be? So I asked this older gentleman uh, what he would do over again. And he said, I would buy property in Costa Rica. It's an amazing place. If you love the outdoors, you love nature, you love adventure, that's the place to be. I didn't even know where Costa Rica was. I thought it was a a sister island of Puerto Rico or somewhere in the Caribbean. So he said that, and that piqued an interest in me because I love the outdoors. And and this guy was someone that I, I admired, and I loved his energy, and I was attracted to him. So that resonated me with me for quite some time. And it was always in the back of my mind, Costa Rica, Costa Rica. Well, an opportunity arose in 2015. I was in between jobs. I said, okay, I'm going to Costa Rica. And I packed up a backpack and I flew into San Jose, Costa Rica, rented a car, immediately fell in love with the country. The mountains, the beauty of it, the energy. It had everything I ever desired in a location. Everywhere I had traveled around the world, Europe, Middle East, the United States, there was a little bit of everything I had been here in Costa Rica. Costa Rica is a very diverse country, mm-hmm. small country, 5 million people. It's not a large country, but it's very diverse. The, the bioclimates are amazing. The mountains, I can go to the mountains and get chilly right now. The highest elevation is 12,000 feet. So that is what drew me to Costa Rica, was that, that gentleman 27 years ago who planted that seed, which led me in 2015 to come here, fall in love with it. One thing led to another, started looking at property. Prices weren't bad. It seemed like a pretty stable country. Found a piece of property that resonated with me. Uh, I met a realtor, told him what I was looking for. I wanted something isolated, not easily accessible, something on a water source. So when the end of times comes, the, the, the zombocalypse per se, I can survive. <laughs> and the first place he took me was here. And it was that I felt it. And I came back on three separate occasions over a year period. And after that, after I hiked the Appalachian Trail, I used the Appalachian Trail as uh, my time to meditate, mm-hmm. and vision. I, I said to myself, once I finished hiking the Appalachian Trail, if I was still feeling it, I'm gonna pull the trigger. I finished the Appalachian Trail, still feeling it. I came, placed an offer, and shortly thereafter, you know, I, I bought the property and now uh, I wanna share it with others. The energy, the, the natural environment, it's a great place to heal to just become part, to get grounded.
0: Superhumanize.
1: Ah, oh, man, and before we started on um, recording, I mean, the people who are just listening to us can't see you, but you are right now at Camp and Commando. You are at your retreat and you showed me, you gave me a little bit of a visual tour It looks so frigging gorgeous, and I can't wait to go. I really can't. And and I'm also sending my husband to see you because that's a done deal. It looks amazing. You've created a really, really beautiful spot there. And Mm -hmm. what you just shared also, a lot of people, especially these times that we're collectively going through, which are kind of a reset for many people, a lot of people are either getting out or thinking about getting out of the rat race. What is your advice to those who want to make a radical change in their lives and just go for um, their dreams?
2: Yeah, make the decision. Be bold. Be bold. Be a decisive decision maker. Follow your passion. Follow your heart and do it. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. What's the worst thing that can happen? What is the worst thing that can happen? And for all the listeners out there, if you want to come to Costa Rica, just let me know. Hit me up. You know. I'll, I'll, I'm your on all only you needs a plane ticket, you know, and airfare is relatively cheap. You know, one of the reasons why I, I moved here is to share this beauty, this, this harmony and this peace with others. But in times of uncertainty, which we live in and which I experienced for 26 years, I, I was dealt with I, I lived in a world of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. One of the things I took away from living in uncertainty, you need to make a decision. You need to gather that information and, and have at least an 80% uh, good decision and go with it. Nothing's ever perfect. And that's something else I learned through my experience with uh, high-risk operations. There's no such thing as a perfect plan. Mm-hmm. Every mission I went on never went as planned. Never. <laughs> And, and there's a saying, the the plan never survives first enemy contact. And that's true. Yeah, that's true. And that's life. That Life never goes as planned. Yeah. And, and I, I think sometimes we're a product of our own expectations. We mm-hmm. set these expectations and, and that's expectations, um, unmet expe- expectations is one of the leading causes of stress, anxiety, depression. Mm-hmm you know, and we need to be careful with that.
1: So to be able to switch our mindset to being uh, decisive, to being proactive, and also to being open to change is a hugely important skill set to develop uh, in general, but especially in our times. And I love what you just said that pretty much none of the um, the missions that you were on went to plan and correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, when I Uh, dug around about you uh you were on several combat tours and i think you participated in a thousand combat missions right
2: right right yeah
1: so to hear something like that from somebody like you should give anybody else uh the the courage and the solace (laughs) that it's okay to have to have a plan prepare but don't get too rattled when things change and right You are the guy, I mean, you had a tremendous military career, to say the least. You are the guy they make movies about. How do you go from being this total badass who uh, basically also learns how to project intimidation mode to being a Zen teacher? And obviously, people who are listening to you right now, you're a super good, chill, cool dude. But I can imagine that's quite a transition. Um, how, How did you go about that?
2: Well, I knew what I was getting into. One, I knew the environment that I wanted to put myself in. And I did a long time in the military. I came to a point in the military, Ariana, where I got bored. As crazy as that sounds, I just got bored. Mm-hmm. And the military, yes, you know, like many hierarchies, there's a bureaucratic process to it. And I was checking the boxes, climbing the ladder, and I was at a point where it, it was no longer challenging and I was getting i was getting complacent. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was getting complacent. And change does beautiful things to a person. And, and that was something you were alluding to earlier, um, change. And I think for me, you know, a, a principle of leadership is know yourself and seek self-improvement. And that's something I, I've been on a, I, I constantly apply to, my, to myself is constantly learning creating change in my life so I can grow so I can have a broader understanding, particularly with people and that's important if we want if we want strong relationships and I think relationships is, uh, is one of the number one ingredients to success and we talked about that previously. Uh, when we chatted before, relationships to me is one of the number one ingredients to your success in life. However, you want to define success. So I'm digressing a little bit, but prior to getting out of the military, I knew that I did. I knew what I did not want to do, and that was government work, work in the military, being a regimented environment. I was done with it. No mas, bonito. <laughs> so I, I finished my grad studies before I left. I'm preparing myself. Preparation is, you know, success is 100% preparation. I knew this, it was instilled in me. So I'm gathering information. I'm preparing myself for that transition. I'm going to grad school. I'm learning a new language. I knew I wanted to test myself in the corporate world, the public and private sector. And no better place to test yourself than San Francisco, California, especially being a military guy like me. Yeah, the Bay Area is the epicenter of kookiness, diversity. It's awesome. And it's today's what Wall Street was back 50, 60 years ago. And when I was going through grad school, I had no clue what I wanted to do when I was when I was get when I got out of the military. You know, what industry, what market, what am I going to focus on? What, who am I going to be? <laughs> Sales, marketing. And, and when I left the military, the skill set, I really I really didn't have a lot of technical skills, mm-hmm. leaving the military. I felt I could communicate and connect with people and sell you know, the military, what I did. Uh, they 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 do teach you communication skills, especially in operate in special operations doing what I did. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes we were tasked to go to unknown places and create relationships first, and then work on security, securing the environment and stability. So um, yeah, I picked San Francisco. I knew that was a crazy place. It was filled with uncertainty for me. I thrive in uncertainty. Mm-hmm. I, I, I make uncertainty my friend. I, I embrace fear. I think you can use fear as an ally. And oftentimes we we stray away from it. But that's why one of the reasons why I live in Costa Rica, because every day I face life and death situations. It's crazy, and I have to be I have to be on the blade. Mm-hmm. I, I have to be out there. So uh, I prepared myself, went up to San Francisco, and just threw myself into the fire. And, and it was sink or swim. It was sink or swim. I knew if I wanted to survive and succeed i had to change how i communicated how i how i uh, engaged with people my language i i really had to cool my jets a bit and not be so intimidating mm-hmm. to people so it, i learned a lot in the very short time that i spent there it was a great experience i loved it
0: superhumanize
1: and i would say you have succeeded because uh You are not intimidating, and and I mean this in the absolutely best way. You are what I personally would want from a teacher, somebody who has been highly um, trained in in many different areas that I seek to better myself in. You're warm. You're welcoming. So, you know, anybody who's listening now, there's zero reason to be intimidated from Todd. I think you're an excellent... uh, leader and teacher figure. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about um, Camp Zen Commando. Uh, Tell us about your philosophy and the types of programs that one can expect there.
2: Right. So here at Camp Zen Commando, what I think is important and what I primarily focus on are relationships. When I left the military and I started working in the corporate world and then later in the startup world. Someone told me many years ago when I was working in special operations and I and I entered a new organization. My my mentor sat down with me and gave me some advice. And he said to me, there's three things that will make or break you here at this organization. He said the first thing is your competency, you know, your ability to get thing, things done and those core skills. Okay. That's a no-brainer. Competency. I get it. Secondly, he said integrity. Got it. You know, integrity, your your character. I get that too. And then lastly, he said relationships. He said that's the most difficult thing out of the three that people get right is their relationships, how they deal with one another, you know, other agencies, other organizations, things of that nature. So um, I, I always remember that, how important. You know, that value of relationships was. When I left the military, started working in the civilian world. I, I started realizing, you know, those relationships with other people. And then I hiked the Appalachian Trail and I started to learn different types of relationships. The relationships the relationships that one has with their environment, which is huge. And, and at the time, uh, I was reading Marcus Aurelius Meditations. And I love Marcus Aurelius to me. He's one of the greatest uh, leaders of all times. He He's a philosopher. He's just one of those all-male archetype figures. And his book, Meditations, was written 2,000 years ago. And there's so much wisdom in that book. And and I would say, if you're a leader, anyone for that matter, reading Meditations, it's, it's a must read. And he talks about relationships in that book. And walking on that long hike that I did, the Appalachian Trail, I'm, I'm reading what he was saying about relationships, and he, and he pointed out three types of relationships: the one that you have with yourself, the one you have with the environment, and then thirdly, the one that you have with others. So I've kind of adopted that to the curriculum we teach here, or that we share with others, and I, I call it the three rings of relationships: <clears throat> the relationship you have with yourself, with the environment, and then finally. The relationship you have with others the most difficult one is the relationship you have with yourself and we focus a lot of working on you here mentally physically emotionally spiritually we dig deep here when you come here you learn a lot about yourself and we set the conditions so you don't have any distractions and you can focus totally on you because you can't have relationships positive relationships, healthy relationships with the environment or with other with others until you get yourself right. So that's kind of the philosophy per se or the model we use here is we focus on relationships and I integrate that into pretty much all the learning modules we have. And when folks come here each day, there's a series of events we do. I, I call it the morning priorities of work. When we wake up there's a set schedule that we do. And then throughout the day, we have these small, short uh, breakout sessions and modules that we, that we talk. We talk about mindset. We talk about relationships, relationships with the environment, how to, cha- how to change how you see the world, you know, opening yourself up.
1: Yes, yes.
2: You know, connecting that's, with others.
1: That's, that's actually also one of my uh, favorite quotes of Marcus Aurelius. He said, uh, your days are numbered. Use them to throw open the windows of your soul to the sun. If you do not, the sun will set and you with it. So I love that. Open yourself up.
2: Open yourself up every second, every minute of every hour. Mm. Yeah, open yourself up.
1: And that is some, That is a skill set we can develop if it's not a habit or an, an innate desire that we have not already live. Um, And you mentioned something else that I really find interesting. You were hiking the Appalachian Trail. These are um, 2,185 miles, and I think you did it in 127 days? 123. 123, excuse me.
2: (laughs) should have done it faster. I took too many breaks. (laughs) I contemplated too many times during that hike. What was I thinking? (laughs) Uh, I
1: mean, it's it's really a major feat physically and also psychologically. And I know that self-discipline is a huge pillar of your life philosophy. And the Marine Corps, they have the saying, embrace the suck. Uh, One of your mantras is embrace pain and make it your most intimate life partner. How can we begin the journey to getting to that? Place to that mindset.
2: You know, suffering, Ariano, that's one common denominator we all have. We all go through life suffering. And from the moment we're born until the day we die, we are suffering in one facet or another. And there's different different degrees of suffering. You know, it, it can be emotional, physical, mental, etc., etc. Cetera, et cetera. And I, I think one of the key aspects of embracing it is recognizing it it exists and, and we all go through it we all go through ugly times in life i've been at the bottom of the barrel looking up reaching for help and no one there you know i get it you know i I've, I've seen it you know i've seen people take their lives and first we have to accept it you know accept that it does happen and then surrender ourselves to it. Yes, you know, surrender ourselves to it. And for me, I believe one: you're never given too much that you can't handle. Things happen for a reason. You know, that's just how I approach things. You know, the, the whole karma. You know, cause and effect. Things happen for a reason, and uh, there's a purpose. And I approach it from a purpose of growth, and I'm going to learn something from it and I'm going to be stronger and better on the other side once I go through this and once I get over it. And, and pain is only temporary. Pain is temporary and majority of it is all up here. It's only temporary. It might last a long time, might last a few years, but you're going to get through it. You know? mm. But it, it's up to you. You have to dig down and want it and overcome it. You know, it's all it's a mental game the number one weapon you have in your arsenal is up here no greater weapon in the world at your arsenal than up here you know it begins with positive thinking positive speech and positive action and it's a process it's muscle memory you have to practice this you know whatever whatever you're experiencing you know pot, start programming yourself
1: and that's a key thing that you just said um, we can practice surrendering to suffering or adversity, and we also can practice becoming resilient to or going with pain. Not an easy thing, but it is possible.
2: Yep. And, and you're gonna get knocked down. Get, you got to get back up too. You have to get back up fast. You know, mm-hmm. Don't wallow in your sorrow. You know, that's another key aspect. You, know, uh, you, you can't hesitate. You have to get up and keep moving forward.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, yeah. And that comes down to
1: self-discipline.
2: It's a yes. huge part of your self-discipline, keeping after it.
0: Superhumanize.
1: Something that is tied to suffering is uh, also addiction. And we spoke about that in a prior conversation. Camp Zen Commando is completely substance free. And you've told me that, you know, you have an addictive personality, also via genetic predisposition, like many of us have. And what you did is you chose to refocus that trait, for example, on exercise and other healthy habits. And I love that you're an example for, it's not the cards that you have been dealt, whether -hmm. it's experience or genetics, but it's about how you play them. How do you teach others to do the same? What do you do at Camp Zen Commando to help others who may find themselves in a situation where they're dealing with addiction? And we know those can be many. I mean, it can be any type of substance. It can be certain habits, uh, shopping, sex, whatnot. Addictions are many, many folds. So how, Mm. how do you teach others the same to refocus addiction towards healthy habits?
2: Right, I I think the cornerstone of refocusing folks is getting them aware, first and foremost, getting them aware of just who they are. Oftentimes today, we don't, in in the world out there, it's chaos, it's confusion, fake me. You don't know which end is up. Few people have time to sit down, meditate, and really self-reflect. And become aware of what they are doing to themselves. They don't, they're not aware of who they are as a human being, and the the third and fourth order effects that they're doing to themselves by having this addiction, whatever that may be. And I'm familiar with negative addiction. I was I was a nicotine addict for 15 years, and it was a habit I did. Yeah, you know, I just saw it and I decided, yeah, you know, it was just an addiction. I saw. It was um, Copenhagen uh, chewing tobacco. Oh. (laughs) Disgusting.
1: The stuff that also has these fibers in it that rubble up the insides of your mouth. People's Uh
2: lips fall off from doing it. I did it for 15 years. And here I am justifying it. Everyone else is doing it. (laughs) Oh, I have good oral hygiene. I brush my teeth three, four times a day. I was justifying this addiction. I was making excuses. Wrong answer. But getting back to your question, part of this is getting people self-aware. And how do we do it? Well, one, we throw them out, we we take them to an environment, an unknown environment. We take them out of their comfort zone. That's what we do. That's what Camp Zen Commando is all about. Getting people out of their comfort zone, out of their regular daily habits yeah it's substance free there's no alcohol here it's vegan it's plant-based everything you're putting in your body is fuel yeah positive (laughs) yeah and and what you eat is who you are yeah i believe that you know people people care more about the fuel and gasoline and the type of fluids that they put in their car than they care about what they eat it blows me away
1: it's insane. It's, it's
2: absolutely insane. It's insane. They're priorities like- backwards. They care more about their car than they do their human body. Yeah. So what what we do, what we do is we take people out of their comfort zone. We yep, put them yep. in this beautiful natural environment. It's as raw and as primal as you can get. And it's energetic, the air quality. I I, I it's funny because sometimes there's a Online, there's a website where I can see air quality throughout the world. And just for giggles, sometimes I plug in L.A. <laughs>
1: oh, well, thanks for that, Todd. I'm sitting in L.A. right now. But you're correct. You're absolutely correct. The air quality. Air quality is vastly important. We don't realize it. But what we take in via our lungs, all huh. the toxins, and especially if we're exposed to them for a long time, can cause massive uh, chronic yeah diseases, uh, reactions in the body. And you just said it. So Camp Zan Commando is vegan. You are vegan, which is so awesome. What prompted that?
2: Oh, geez, what prompted that? That's another crazy story. I think it started in my childhood.
1: Yeah, it's just
2: these seeds have been planted throughout my life. And I like to say I've been on a journey of preparation throughout my entire life. I am where, I at, where I'm where i at today. I've just been being prepared, thankfully, by others. I've been surrounded by some amazing people in my life. You know, a large part in the military, uh, great leaders um, from all walks of life. But what prompted me to go plant-based, growing up, I shared with you, growing up in an Eastern European family, I ate a lot of meat a lot of potatoes, the German butcher right down the road. Every Friday, my mom would go to the German butcher. Bratwurst, liverwurst, kielbasa, sauerkraut. That's the food I grew up on.
1: Yeah, yeah. me too. Well, my,
2: my mother didn't. I remember my mom frying food. She would cook bacon, remove the bacon bacon from the frying pan, crack eggs and fry eggs in the bacon fat. You know, and that that's how we how she prepared the food. And then I got introduced to bodybuilding. Uh, I was into sports growing up, and in high school, it was, I think so tenth grade, I was playing basketball. I stopped growing. There was a year that my growth, there was no more growth, so I stopped playing basketball, and I started lifting weights. <laughs> and that's when I started getting a little bit healthier. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Predator, Terminator, those movies were out. So I started competing bodybuilding, started reading Muscle and Fitness, Flex magazine. That shifted my eating habits to a little bit better. You know, no more crappy foods, no more no more fried foods. I was making a little bit smarter food choices. And then I go in the military and the military, they give you a lot of food. They, they feed you well, probably not the best Food choices, yeah, it's government, yeah, cafeteria type dining setting. So, but I started getting into triathlons, endurance sports in my mid-20s, early 30s, and I realized how how valuable nutrition was mm-hmm. and um, performance-based nutrition. And that's during that time, I started hearing about different diets, the Atkins diet. Mm. Barry Sears had, uh, the zone diet. Then the paleo diet came about in keto. Yeah. You know, I tried every diet that was a fattish type diet. And then I started, uh, reading about these endurance athletes who were strictly plant based.
1: Like rich row,
2: like rich row. Yeah. I'm like, Whoa, this guy's a beast. This guy's awesome. Look at this guy. And also, he knows what suffering's about, you know, because he's been there. You know, I can relate to this guy, so there was a connection which drew me that much more closer to his story, which was very powerful. I could relate to that. And listening to him be performing at the level that he was performing, going plant based, I'm like, whoa, there's something there. Mm -hmm. So, for the past maybe three years, I, I would say I was pretty much more vegetarian than anything. Yeah, uh, I, I, I eat a lot of fish. I, I was eating fish here, fresh fish, uh, but a lot more whole foods, plant-based. And then maybe four months ago, I met a couple, and they were a Russian couple, and we were at a cafe, small talk. I bumped into them, you know, said, hey, hello, what are you doing here? Oh, I live here, this and that. And they looked pretty healthy. And the gentleman, I asked him, because I'm curious, whenever I see healthy people, hey, what what are you doing? What's your workout like? What are you doing? And he told me, well, I live in the jungle, off the grid, and we just eat fruits and vegetables. We're total vegan. I'm like, whoa. And I asked him how old he was. He said, oh, I'm 53. I'm like, dude, you look like you're in your 30s. You know, he's like, yeah, well, I've been a vegan for 15 years. And then, and then that was an attraction. Then I started hanging out with them, watching them how to prepare food and their eating habits and their lifestyle. Lifestyle is a big part of this, too. It's just not eating, but it's a whole day thing. But that that was the trigger. That was the, the final nail in the coffin, per se.
1: <laughs> for the bratwurst. No more bratwurst. <laughs> Once you, once you came to that realization and took that decision, um, did you notice any immediate changes um, physically or mentally?
2: Absolutely. I had a more energy level, mm. more energy throughout the day. I was grazing. I was feeding throughout the day. I wasn't just limiting myself to however many meals I was eating before. And I have a very unique eating plan to begin with. I like to think all my Zen commando stuff is... My stuff, proprietary, I developed it, my workouts and my eating plan, and how I eat. I, I do my best to adhere or abide to the natural circadian rhythm pattern. I honor that. I think that's very important mm-hmm. with your timing of when to sleep and when to eat. So, but what I felt when I started going plant based, I was just eating, I was feeding more throughout the day. And I was preparing foods that I could snack on throughout the day. And it was was simpler.
1: And feels much more natural for the body, right? Instead of this idea that we often have in our mind, you have to eat three meals a day. So morning, lunch, evening, which is actually not really listening to the body. That's more of a cultural construct around food Mm -hmm. instead of listening and being in tune with the needs of your body. Um, and you just, uh, you know, you said, uh, you mentioned grazing, you graze. I know you have tons of fruit trees and veggies and all that good stuff growing on your property. Uh, you live off the land and you recently also shared some picture with me and a mutual friend of ours of your homemade pickled vegetables. I mean, you're half yeah. German, half Polish. I'm German sauerkraut that's like as close to heaven as you can get
0: superhumanize
1: so we share that heritage but i have to ask you one thing so since you pick your own sauerkraut what's the best sauerkraut recipe
2: the zen commando sauerkraut recipe
1: of course So go to the website
2: it's there it's listed (laughs) no it's not the recipe's not there yet Mm -hmm. but what I add to it, I add ginger and turmeric to it. Ginger is amazing additive. And it, it adds this very unique taste to yes. the sauerkraut. Like you want to eat it. Normal sauerkraut, for majority of people, ooh, that's icky. What is that? But mm-hmm. adding ginger and turmeric, oh, it makes it delightful. So adding ginger and turmeric to the sauerkraut
1: please do write that recipe up at some point. I'd love to um, replicate it here. I will also come to Costa Rica for it, but um, yes. It's easy to
2: make. It's very easy to make the sauerkraut and pickling the vegetables, onions, cucumbers, carrots. I I do all my food prep on Sunday. It's part of my organizational, the marine process coming out. I do all my preparation on Sunday. Do all my cooking on Sunday, all my beans. I I, I live primarily off bowls of vegetables, vegetable bowls. They're easy. Mm-hmm. I do all my preparation on Sunday. So throughout the week, I just go in the refrigerator and just, you know, put all my food in the bowl and just eat it. All right, back to work. Five yeah. minutes. It's fast. Yeah. It's efficient.
1: It is. And a lot of people don't realize that, you know, to uh, prepare your own food is not as arduous as it seems, especially when you have a plan, like what you do on Sundays. I oftentimes do that as well, especially when I have a uh, set training schedule, you know, a weightlifting schedule. I'm looking to sculpt certain parts of my body. I'm totally into that. So I'll really mind the macros and, you know, really measure everything. So I also, I just take the Sunday, I prep the food, I take maybe two or three hours and I got the food for the entire week prepped. I don't have to cook and chop and cut every day. It saves a lot of time. And it also helps you stick to, um, to your goals, it's it's extremely helpful. And what you do, especially also with the, I mean, pickled vegetables, fermented foods, we all should eat more of those. And it's not that hard to add superfoods because that's what ginger and turmeric are. It's extremely good for our blood. It's anti-inflammatory. You don't have to go and buy super exotic foods that cost a ton. Um, some of these very well-known and available at most supermarket ingredients can really, really benefit Your physiology tremendously, and it's easy to make it an every part, everyday part of your life. I mean, that's what you snack on. You told me between meal number one and number two, you just eat some fermented foods, the ones that you've made yourself.
2: Yeah, I eat twice a day. I'm down only two meals a day. Yeah, I've always been a nonconformist per se. I like to go against the grain. Uh, I I think, like you said, the three meals a day—that's a social construct. Yeah, it was only—it was—it wasn't until the 1800s. Uh, 19th century did did people start eating that way? You know, breakfast, yeah. lunch, dinner. But now I eat twice a day, and I'm wired throughout the day. I, I eat after my workouts. I work out twice a day, so after my first workout in the morning, I go and I feed, and then after my second workout in the afternoon, about four or five, I'll I'll feed again because that's when your body best it, it best metabolizes. It's ready. It's like an engine where where the oil level is low and you're filling it back up with food. It's ready. You know, it's digesting, it's metabolizing, it's pushing all those nutrients out to the rest of your body. It works for me.
1: Yeah, and I would encourage, I would invite anyone um, to try out, uh, out, go plant-based, see how it sits, even if it's just for a week or two, for most people, I think the changes are so tremendous physically and also mentally, a a lot of people might choose to stick with it. Or if you don't want to go plant based 100%, I mean, uh, go AVAP, as I say, that's my own philosophy, as vegan as possible, you know, maybe maybe you do have your Sunday roast or something that you think you can't live without, but really just focus on a mainly plant based diet, we have the power to change our health, to take control of our health. And that's one of the most important pillars um, of our health. Uh, I love what you said in our past conversation about you. There's so many things nowadays that we are blessed with having access to if we so choose from ancient knowledge um, to the most um, modern cutting edge technologies and scientific breakthroughs. And there's tons of things we can do to feel make ourselves feel better to enhance our well-being very exotic things but the truth is we really need to focus on the simple things first like food like sleep and, and and that's also what you really put a strong focus on in with your coaching and I think that makes a lot of sense exercise diet sleep meditation and breathing and to make that core parts of your life
2: yeah, absolutely. And, and you, you need to incorporate that in your daily routine. And, and folks that come down, the number one excuse, you probably know this, the number one excuse I get from people, when I ask them, basically, well, why don't you work out? The number one excuse is, I don't have time. That's the last thing you want to tell me. <laughs> Are you out of your mind? You don't have time? Oh my goodness! And then I asked for their cell phone because I want to see their screen time. I want to see how much time they spend on social media. And I ask them, "Let me see your phone." And they're like, "What?" And they get all personal and defense. You're not looking at my phone. It has like three different triple layer defense fingerprint. But like, come on. I, I mean, give me a break. Now, I, I should say that you know humorously. But majority of people, I, I, I did a survey not too long ago, and I got quite a few responses. And I asked people, on average, how, how much time do you spend on social media a day? 80% of people spend one and two hours a day on social media. And not in the constructive sense, but just Facebook lollygagging, empty time on social media. That's five hours a week. Uh, do the math. And you mean to tell me you, you you don't have time to exercise? 30 minutes is all I'm asking. You know, a Zen Commando workout, the shortest workout I, I teach is 30 minutes. And that goes back to, okay, let's readjust your priorities of work. Let's, let's readjust your daily habits. This is what you need work on. Part of that is becoming self-aware. And another part of that is re-engineering your daily habits, which I call your morning priorities of work and then at night I also have I don't want to say I'm ritualistic but I have my evening priorities of work. There's certain things I do at between 6 p.m and when I go to bed at 8 p.m
1: and you get up at 4 a.m. I love it. It's like Todd you go
2: to bed at hey I can't do that. What do you mean you can't do that? Well I have to game or then football. I'm like stop talking to me.
1: It's all about priorities and and having habits uh, that really be you know come in a core part of your life. What you just said, you know, thirty minutes a day or five hours a week that you waste on social media. Take these five hours a week
0: right. and,
1: and look at what happens in six months, in twelve months. You could actually achieve something that you've always longed for. Whether it's your ideal body and vanity aside, the health. Aspect of this, or whether it's a, a clearer mind and more focus, having um, creating habits is vastly important for success. And there's something I ask every guest, and that's: what are the practices that have most profoundly, in a positive way, affected you mentally, spiritually, or physically? What is it for you?
2: Yeah, well, I, my morning routine, and this is just me. I, I think what you do when you wake up. The first two hours of your day will determine the remainder of your day. I think that's a huge part of how your day unfolds. It goes back to the whole preparation thing that I'm a firm believer in. Success is 100% preparation. Some things that have changed, some habits that I've incorporated. When I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is smile. I'm laying in bed and my room is blacked out. I sleep in a cave. No light. Because I'm, I'm, I'm asleep, paranoid about my sleep. It's totally blacked out. But I just wake up and the fir- I, I crack a smile. And I just lay there. There's a power. They don't teach that in the United States Marines. <laughs> I did not learn that in the military. They call that poor bearing. What are you doing? Smiling. Close your mouth. Are you insane? <laughs> You're ruining our image, Marine.
1: Stop smiling. <laughs>
2: it's like yes, sir. I didn't learn how to smile. till, re- And my parents, my, my parents were unemotional. It was total. Yeah. Cause that was weakness to them. But I learned the value of smiling. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest gift I think you can give someone throughout your day and living here in Central America, learning a new language, learning Spanish. Yeah. I, I'm a bait. I'm, I'm getting by, I'm doing okay. And I love learning uh, a language. It's amazing. And I, I know you're fluent in five. <laughs> but, but learning a language and then backing it up with a smile. Oh, my goodness. It's immediate connection. But what I do, I smile the first thing in the morning to connect myself with me. And then I start, my second thing I do is I just give thanks. I say thanks out loud. Like Thank you for another day. Thank you for another day. You know, every breath we take. This is amazing. I'm thoroughly blessed, thankful, and fortunate to be breathing and living because I've experienced um, death. I've, I've faced death in different formats throughout my life. And I know what it feels like to know that in two minutes, your your life is going to be over as you know it. You know, And that, that awakening came when my parachute didn't op- open one time. And I was plummeting to the earth. And I couldn't get to my second one. And I knew I had two minutes to live. And I think when you're at that state, there's certain things that go through your head. And it's not how many cars you have or how all that stuff. You're not thinking that. You're thinking, man, I wish I could have done. I should have done this. I should have placed greater value in this. And one of those things from my near-death experiences is being thankful. In giving that gratitude. So I give thanks first thing in the morning. I uh, then the third thing I do is I visualize how my day's going to go. You know, and Joe Dispenza, I don't know if you're familiar with Joe Dispenza, yeah. he's big on that. You know, engineering your day. Visualize the day, how you want it to unfold. Prepare yourself mentally. And I spend maybe 30 seconds. I uh, I'm pretty much in self-quarantine. <laughs> So it's pretty easy because I'm not dealing with people. But even for today's um, episode, for all the listeners out there, I went through a process. I was thinking of, okay, where am I going to set up the natural? You know, I was going through this series, engineering of how this is going to go. Hmm. And that's one of the things I do. And then I get up and I do my studying and then my exercise and I'm ready for the rest of the day. So those habits, those processes And I get up at four, you know, I get up at 4 a.m. so I can get those things done before seven. That's three hours. You know, there's no reason. You know, there's no excuses why you can't get up. The only thing that's holding you back from getting up at 4 a.m. is you going to bed at midnight because you're watching Netflix or you're on the computer wasting time
1: so true so true and i have absolutely been guilty of it and i'm sure i'm going to also continue to be guilty of it but i have mine started minding these things so much more and it has a you think these things are little but they're not they have a huge huge impact on your life and they really determine not only how your day goes but these habits change they change your brain. They change the way your brain wires and fires. You literally can become a different person that is much closer to who you want to be by creating and sticking with these habits.
2: Absolutely. And that's part of exercising your prefrontal cortex, you know, is getting in that activity, that routine. I mean, that's what this, this prefrontal lobe is all about. Mm-hmm. You know, it's based off those executive actions. And this needs is just as much exercise. You know, that's where the meditation comes into part, into mm-hmm. play. And the deep breathing. I, mm-hmm. I recently, in the past year, I've been incorporating breathing into my morning uh, routine as well. Part of my morning uh, daily priorities of work is incorporating 15 minutes of deep breathing. What kind routine.
1: of technique do you follow? Do you have a specific technique?
2: I've kind of adopted my own the Zen
1: Commando
2: breathing technique. No, a little bit. I, I like Wim Hof. Yeah, he's you familiar with Wim Hof. I, I like his breathing technique. After doing that for about a year, I started messing around and playing with different breath retentions different types of breath inhales through the nose, out through the mouth, I just started messing around different ways of exercising my breath. So I do about 15 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes each morning. I I do a breath retention on the full inhale. I do a breath retention and then on my exhale at the bottom, I do another retention and it's five seconds. So five seconds inhale, five second retention, five second exhale, five second retention, five seconds, so it's just a
1: cycle.
0: Superhumanize.
1: It's. A, I find it amazing how something as simple and completely cost-free as breath can completely change our state, change the state of our, our mind. We get out of the fight-or-flight mode, and what it does on a biological level is also absolutely incredible. And that's, you know, when people ask me about um, biohacking, about self-optimizing, first thing I tell them is, look, this is not about spending gazillions of dollars or euros on some super exotic techniques and technologies. You can if you want to, but there are things you can do for free that costs nothing but your time and your discipline, and they will absolutely change your life.
2: Absolutely. All the drugs, it's all here. Mother Nature gave us everything we needed
1: right here. I believe
2: that. Whether it's walking out in your breath. In the afternoon sometimes, I just lay down, I do 15 minutes of breathing, and I get up and I'm re-energized.
1: Re-energized or, hey, even if you want to get high, you can literally get high by breathing. I I been. I've been in that state.
2: I've taken myself to the gamma level of breathing on the Appalachian Trail when I was enduring that. And I, I, I really think that was a huge transformation in my life, hiking that Appalachian Trail, because I, I might have shared with you and I've shared with others. I've studied combat my entire life, but I never studied peace. I grew up in a combative environment and then I go in the military, combative, war, conflict, business world. I hate to say it, but that's combat. It's survival. You know, second place is a first loser. What's your revenues looking like? What's this? What's that? you out there making sense. Come on, you're failing. But I never took time out to look inward and, and learn about. I never studied peace. And that's something that has always fascinated me about Eastern philosophy, they do it the other way here in Western philosophy. We teach combat first, but then in other areas, other cultures, they, they, they learn about peace first. Even in the military, I didn't, you know, they give you these books, Combat War Napoleon, that you know, and you read it, but you never learn about peace. I think learning about peace is the foundation of it all, especially inner peace. Because the only way with gro- global peace and world peace. Is through us as individuals, and hiking the Appalachian Trail, you know, brought me that inner peace, the breath, the breathing, that meditative state. That I every step was meditative. It was beautiful. I was breathing. I was in nature. I was surrounded in nature, and it was beautiful. But that's that's one of those moments I had in my life that introduced me to that that self peace of mind.
1: Mm, that's beautiful and, and brilliant, Todd. And when you set out to um, hike the Appalachian Trail, was that actually with this intention?
2: Absolutely not.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, that's great. So so what was the... It intention? was totally opposite. I Don't, wanted to combat it. Combat, to, to dominate, Conqu- to conquer it.
2: To break it.
1: <laughs> and, and then it conquered you. Yeah, It led you back to your deepest truth. When when was the moment when you realized that that was happening while you were doing the trail?
2: Immediately when I stepped on it, (laughs) day one. It didn't take long. It didn't take long. Because here you are, you're thrown, you're at the trailhead, mile zero, knowing you have 2,185 miles to go. And you can't think that far. You can't be thinking and you have to be in the moment. You know, and the the Appalachian Trail, to me, it's a microcosm of life. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if anyone were to ask me, hey, Todd, what can I do to learn about life in the shortest period of time? I tell him, go hike the Appalachian Trail. And it's doable. You know, it, there's a stigma that it's you know, it's 2,000 miles along its channel. It's not. I encountered what elderly people in their seventies, hiking it. I met a young girl, 15 year old, 15 years old, teenage girl hiking the whole thing. You know, it's all up here. Uh, But that, that moment came to me as soon as I stepped out there and the microcosm of life, there's a start and a finish. And there's a trail, a path, and just like our life journey. And you're going to experience every single emotion on that trail. There's going to be moments of complete glory and complete misery. You're going to experience life. Yeah, I saw baby bear cubs, you know, running around. You're going to experience death. There were times where I saw a dead carcass of animals and you could smell, you you experience everything on that Appalachian Trail. And, And something, one of the lessons I took away from that and it goes back to how important relationships are. Sometimes you go through life thinking you can do it all yourself. But what I found is that it's not true. That somewhere on that trail, you have to reach out for help. It might be thumbing a ride into town, you know, to get yourself to get some supplies, or you need a new piece of gear, but you can't go through life by yourself. And that's why I place tremendous value on how important relationships are. Mm -hmm. And that trail embodies all three rings of relationships, Mm -hmm. the relationship you have with yourself. Because if your mind is not right, you're not finishing that trail. You're going to lose the first step you take if this is not right, mentally, physically, spiritually. Then the environment, if you don't embrace the trail, If you don't embrace the cards that mother nature is going to deal you and you don't know what those cards are, you're going to fail. You're not going to accomplish it. And if you cannot embrace others, trail mates, people walking that trail, respect them and let them walk their own trail. Don't force your walk or your hike onto others. That journey is not going to be complete. So that Appalachian trail, that was Awesome for me. That was where that whole piece came into play, inner peace, and um, a lot of lessons learned, or affirmations of lessons that I already knew or I had heard about, but I just re-experienced them all in four months. It was beautiful. I'm going to do it again.
1: Ah, oh, it's, it's amazing. It's awesome. It's beautiful, and I love the analogy. You know, the Appalachian Trail is a microcosm of the macrocosm of life. That's absolutely gorgeous. I, I you know, I, I really cannot wait to um, to make what you have to teach part of my Appalachian Trail, my life. I think you have a lot to give. I absolutely can't wait to come out and see what you've created there with Camp Zen Commando. Mm-hmm. And um if people want to connect with you, how can they best reach you?
2: I, I think just on, on the web, just in a Google search, enter Zen Commando. I'm the only Zen Commando in the world. <laughs> <laughs> just do a Google search, Zen Commando, and connect with me on Facebook, email, my phone number's up, feel free to call me, I'm accessible. And I'm here, to, I'm here to serve the world, serve others, and just optimize others' lives. That, that's the journey and where I believe I'm at in the moment. So just to make the world a better place by helping others to be better. So. And that
1: really, really shines through with everything you say, Todd. And I'm so, so glad we connected. I am so happy and really honored that you are a guest on my podcast and i'm sure we'll talk again in the future and thank you thank you for doing what you're doing and also for spending time with me today
2: absolutely thank you ariana for having me uh it was a pleasure and for all the listeners feel free to hit me up you're always welcome thank you
0: superhumanize accelerated evolution